You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our hearty helping of Archeo Soup. Hello, and welcome back to Watching Brief for the week of the 7th of February, 2022. Uh, I am joined, as ever, by my co-host, Mr Andy Brockman. How are you doing uh, this afternoon, Andy? I'm... Um... Well, I'm happy and I'm apprehensive. I'm happy because last night I was involved in a local planning issue mm-hmm. um, where the side I was batting for won, which is a good thing. Oh, that's um, good. But, yep, um, it, it was only peripherally a heritage issue. But it was, uh, it's, it's interesting to see lo- local democracy working, actually, with the, uh, uh, the elected councillors responding to concerns in the community. So that was, mm-hmm. that was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I've just had an email this morning saying that there's uh, digging work, uh, uh, mechanical diggers working on a local grade two listed site where there's a planning application in for, which hasn't been decided yet. So uh, after we finish recording, I'm going to have to go down and see what's going on. Okay. Um, so, and is, yeah. that, is, that, is, that a, is that a news story or is that a, a, a local community concern? Um, it's a local community concern at the moment because nothing's proven. Mm-hmm. If somebody has been doing work, and worst case scenario is they're destroying a structure within the uh, within the p- uh, footprint of the site, within the curtilage of the site, which has for some reason been omitted from the heritage impact assessment, um, then it becomes an issue very quickly. Okay, interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, Anyway, while we're waiting on that, our watching brief continues. And uh, as ever, we're we're here to bring you the news from the archaeological world of the week for you to uh, examine, discuss below, and hopefully um, add to that that understanding and that conversation. And this week, we have uh, a couple of threads that we're we're tugging on, starting, though, with a a preliminary look at the CIFA... Uh, That is the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists, minimum salary recommendations, brackets, UK only. Um, We are approaching the 1st of April, 2022, and these these have been announced as um, uh, posts requiring uh, competence slash responsibility at PCIFA, PCIFA? Practitioner, yeah, practitioner level. Practitioner level, okay, practitioner level. basically starts at £21,100. The next level being £24,600, and the next level after that being £31,600. And uh, just to compare that to to last year's recommended salaries, recommendations, um, that's up from £20,400 to £21,100. And this is interesting because it seems to be making, uh, well, for the first time in a while, certainly I've noticed people actually making waves as to what they will and will not tolerate in terms of job advertising uh, uh, based on these sort of salary levels. Uh, is it is just a good thing? Are we actually sort of slowly moving that that boulder up the hill? Well, I, yes, in terms of uh, if, if it's bringing more attention to wage levels in archaeology, which are notoriously poor. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and the fact that people are talking about it, that is a good thing. It's an even better thing if people actually start doing something about it, but I'll come to that in a minute. Um, and I, I think we also have to step, step back and see this against the sort of national canvas, as it were, mm. um, when press politicians of all parties are talking about a, quote, cost of living crisis. Mm. Um, coming out of the COVID pandemic, as we seem to be, hopefully, um, with no, uh, society adjusting to a new normal, whether that means going back to as you were pre-March 2020, or whether it means uh, adjusting to working from home some of the time or even all of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, some jobs gone, some jobs retained, um, heavy hits in retail and hospitality and all the rest of it. Um, that is leading to a an increase in inflation, basically, something that most of us haven't lived with noticeably for a long time. Mm. Um, so, for, and the most eye-watering um, impact has been in energy costs, mm. where everybody is facing something like a 50% increase in the cost of their gas and electricity, Yeah, which obviously has an impact on all levels of society, whether from your local hospital in the public sector to your... Um, the local manufacturer, the, uh, your local baker who's baking your bread the, and then having it delivered by truck and uh, so on and so on and so on. You know, so um, basically the current estimates are anything between 5 and 7%. Yeah. Now, now on, on, on annual rise on cost, impact on cost of living this year. Now, um, obviously that is a particular impact on people on low incomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of archaeology, um, the first two levels um, that of the CIFA recommended minima, and they're only recommended. Yep. They're not statutory. They're not enforceable. No. Um, but the, the first two levels are actually below the national average wage. Yeah, exactly. They're already below the national average wage. Uh, and this yep. recommended... Recommend, I keep on saying recommended. These recommendations, <laughs> this recommended... Blimey neck. Mm. Um, uh, rise represents just shy of a three point five percent increase. So that's in the, right. Yeah, in the context of the, of that inflation, it's 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 still a loss of money. Actually, uh, in real terms, it's a loss. Yeah, ab- 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 absolutely. So, you know, what it boils down to is that you know everybody is effectively going to be taking a pay cut because of inflation, unless they can raise their incomes by more than inflation, mm. which then drives inflation, which is the economic argument about all this that Bank of England mm. will be concerned about, mm. um, uh, because inflation is generally seen as a bad thing in the economy. Mm-hmm. So um, you have people who are already on poor wages, whose uh, and I know companies, for example, in the public sector who were. Uh, um, budgeting for approximately a one and a half to three and a half percent increase, pay increase this year. Mm. Um, now being forced to consider whether they can actually afford almost twice that if their workforces ask for it just to keep pace with where they were. Yeah. Just for a standstill. Yeah. Um, clearly, that's a very difficult situation. Mm. Um, and in archaeological terms, uh, f- given that the bulk of people in archaeology work in planning archaeology, that would mean an in- companies choosing to increase the costs that they pass on to their clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Problem there, of course, is that we're in a situation where work archaeological work isn't commissioned; um, it is hired after competitive tender. Yes. 
so that require that would require uh, if for example company a bids 1500 quid for a job and company b bids 1250 quid for a job who's going to get the job which which one is the client going to choose mm -hmm. even if the client company a pays its its staff better yeah and particularly so, in, the, in the context of everyone along that chain having increased costs yeah yeah. Precisely. Mm. Right down to the, for example, the freelance pottery specialist who works from home and is suddenly facing a 50% hike in their, uh, in their gas and electricity bill. Yeah. But even beyond um, that, you know, you've got, uh, you've got everyone, you know, so the, the people who are filing the documentation in terms of the legal rights to do something on certain pl plots of land, the materials costs, the, uh, you yeah. know, the, the cost at the sandwich shop around the corner is going up. Everything is changing. And so therefore, yes. yeah, it's going to have an impact. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So and I, I think, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, just, just to uh, fill out the picture a little bit. I mean, one of the biggest um, sources of archaeology jobs uh, in, in the country is Badger, British Archaeological Jobs Resource does what it says on the tin. Mm -hmm. And David Connolly, who runs Badger, has said that he will not accept ads for companies advertising posts below the minima. Yeah. Um, now that, and again, again, that's a, that, that's a decision that he's taken, and I think a very justifiable and, uh, and, and in a sense laudable decision that he's taken, because, you know, the pay's already low, don't accept you know, people who want to drive it even lower. No, no. Um, but I think that there's a deeper question, and I put this out on my uh, Twitter account the other day when this uh, list first came out, and I think that is um, CIFA, which is, we've talked about many times, it's the organisation which uh, looks after professional ethics and standards in archaeology. It's, again, it, it, you don't have to be a member, but pretty much most... Practicing archaeologists. You don't have to be mad members. to work around here, but it helps. So go on. <laughs> That's right. Um, but CIFA um, is heavily influenced uh, by people who are involved in uh, contracting archaeology, the developer funded companies, the Molas and the Oxford Archaeologies and all the others, uh, Wessex Archaeology, and you know, just to name three of the most famous. Um, and so there has always been a question as to whether uh, CIFA has been a bit diffident, actually, about raising the issue of what pay, of pay conditions. It puts out these minima, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't really take any kind of active action in the way that, for example, uh, the um, junior doctors who are members of the British Medical Association did a few years ago when they were offered uh, changed contracts mm. and it went to industrial action. Mm. CIFA always says it isn't a trade union. Um, now, I, you can, I think you, you can immediately see the problem there is that you're not a trade union. You won't try and enforce it, but you do try and set minimum wage standards. Mm. So therefore, you know, how, how do you do it? And, and you get a sense here that we're back into the, um, what um, Peter Hennessy, the historian, calls the good chaps uh, 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 theory of government, which is basically everyone's a good chap and they'll all settle it over uh, 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 over a table at the club um, and everyone will do the right thing in the end. Yeah. And um, I think for, you know, archaeologists at the trench face, faced with inflation like we're facing now on already low wages, I think there's a question of whether that kind of representation sorted out behind closed doors is actually good enough. And well, but also, but also, but also in a national context where we decidedly ha are seeing national institutions, international institutions, 
pulled to the to the point of fraying, if not breaking, by people abusing this notion of good chap governance. You know, yeah. what happens when your I don't know, for example, your prime minister openly lies in parliament? I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? No, such no, a no, 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 no. He's he's not he's not he's been very clear. The rules were followed at all times, and he'll have a, he'll have plenty to say about all this when the process is. <laughs> finished as he said yesterday i'm not even talking about that lie i mean that's that's the point that's exactly the place it's not one it's lots and so this is the context in which these sorts of recommendations are being passed on so people are having their wallets squeezed but also culturally yeah. some of the standards in terms of best practice and i'm not saying everyone is tarnished with this brush but uh it it it, it it's a cultural problem at the moment that le leaving people to do the right thing doesn't feel as though it's enough just now i suppose is what i'm saying <laughs> that, that's all i'm getting at and and, it, and i think it starts yeah. at the top really in that sense but yeah yeah and, and, and i think just just to finish up maybe on, on 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 this particular segment um the uh prospect arcs prospect archaeology um the trade union prospect which is generally speaking a union for what's seen as professional um, professional people in uh, often in the public service um, has become increasingly influential in recent years. Many archaeologists are joining Prospect as well as CIFA. Mm -hmm. And I think there'll come a point um, when either CIFA is going to have to act more like a trade union or more archaeologists will say, actually, I want to be represented by Prospect because my actual paying conditions are better defended by a trade union whose job is to do that professionally than a, than a, a, a trade organisation. Um a trade standards organisation, a professional standards organisation. And the question is, will, will such a body trying to do that work be tolerated by uh, by these other bodies who don't quite seem to want to do that work but claim the space? That's that's a big question mark, which I'm sure long-time listeners and watchers of The Watching Brief will know that we touched on earlier this year uh, in, in terms of... And, I, and I'm sure we'll come back to again soon. Yeah, how, how welcome new players are in archaeology. Um, Speaking of, of therefore, speaking of the, the the culture coming from the top and um, mm. what happens um, uh, further down the pyramid, we now move on to the story of Governor Glenn Youngkin, uh, I believe the Virginia governor. Yes, who, um, governor, of the, governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Yeah, which actually, according to the Richmond Times-Dispatch, it's 31 and clear today. That's quite that's quite pleasant weather, isn't it? Uh, especially compared to the minus two degrees Celsius I woke up to this morning. And that was indoors, for goodness sake. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, he campaigned uh, on giving parents more control over their children's education. Sounds like a good thing. Uh, according to the Richmond Times-Dispatch, he wasted no time um, banning, quote, inherently divisive concepts, end quote, in schools. Uh, and this move alarmed many educators, including the former Secretary of Education under Ralph Northam, or, or was that Norham, um, who worry that the order will once again lead to Virginia schools uh, whitewashing history. Uh, the first executive order, order by Youngkind signed... Um, that he signed, rather, Barr's so-called critical race theory, uh, a term incorrectly used by Republicans uh, to refer to lessons about any form of systematic racism uh, in schools. And uh, and it really went from there, even affecting, it seems, employees within the governor's mansion in Virginia mm. and uh, people who were charged with educating the public about the building in which uh, the governor operates. It's... Uh, well, again, it's setting the tone from above. 
and it has implications below. But what 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 what, what do you make of this of this move? I mean, technically, I suppose he's within his rights to to act on what he said he would, giving parents more control over their education, and you know they don't have to listen to things that they don't want to have to listen to. Possibly, maybe he asks mischievously. Okay, with a wink. <laughs> Exactly. Look, let, let, let's let's step back from this. Obviously, this is a, this is a story um, we're, we're observing from across the Atlantic. Um, it, uh, our, where we our, where we have no such problems, <laughs> which will which will come to later, which will come to later on in this segment. Um, sorry. Where, where, where... <laughs> oh, sorry. <clears throat> yeah, go on. <clears throat> no, we'll, we'll, we'll come. We'll come to that later on in this segment. Um, yes. There's been a particularly hilarious example of that this week. Um, the, the, the non-problem we have. Uh, but no, look, um, Governor Youngkin is, is well known in Republican circles and the um, Republican Party recently, it began with the Tea Party, but it's accelerated under Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, the party has moved rightwards. It's become more white. Um, it's become more paranoid in some respects about things like critical race theory, which is seen as, uh, you know, in the worst cases of uh, wanting to create a socialist America and doing down American history and great American heroes. Even even Lincoln has been linked to slavery and things like that. So mm -hmm. uh, that's that. It's trying to shut down certain kinds of discussion, as you as, as you say. Now, you know, there's an immediate question whether that's actually compatible with the First Amendment because. Uh, which gives you freedom of speech you can say what you want mm -hmm. now it doesn't mean you have you have to listen but you can't sh you, you're not supposed to be able to shut down a particular line of argument you don't like no so you know that, that that's just one issue that's playing here the, the immediate touch point um touch point here the reason we're we're, we're talking about this is that um Governor Youngkin won the election, and you say he's a mandated politician, so he's entitled to move into the governor's mansion, which he did in January uh, after winning the election in November. Um, and the uh, when she returned to work in January, an archaeologist and historian called Kelly Fanto Dietz um, found that basically her office had been cleared mm. and that teaching materials that she prepared for teaching strands, for example, about the role of black, um, black African uh, you know, enslaved uh, people in the governor's mansion historically, um, and uh, you know, black uh, you know, African, uh, of African Americans in the, in the role of, in the, in the governor's mansion and, and the Commonwealth of Virginia, um, had been basically moved aside, put away, whatever, with no notice to her. Mm. Um, it um, basically they, they uh, and she worked on a particular project which had been contacting descendants of workers who'd worked in the governor's mansion. Um, now, what has effectively happened now is that uh, Dix has resigned. Yes. Um, after that treatment. Um, well, I and, I should, uh, and, I, and I should say, she wasn't just because uh, over here, for example, we often have great old houses, uh, you know, the equivalent of mansions, um, where you'll have different levels of archaeologists and historian involved, and yeah. there'll be conservators and so on and so forth. It looks here as though actually she wasn't just 
running the, sh the show, as it were, but she was actually very hands-on. So there's a photo yes. included in the article here where she's she's got some um, uh, example foods. She's got a picture of what the kitchen once looked like. She's talking to a class yes. in the room. There's some teachers there, presumably. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I can imagine that must be quite difficult to return from from a break to find that you know, I, I guess the big question question is, well, what what's the provision going to be? Like, you know, like uh, presumably there would be bookings, wouldn't there? There'd be schools wanting to come through, wanting to have historical context, you know, given to their visits. Uh, it must be it must be difficult, and then to have to resign as well. It's not it's not easy. Um, no, no, no. We have to say that um, after the row that this uh, provoked in in in. Uh, in the, in the media, in particular in the media in, in Virginia, um, there are a number of statements were issued uh, through the uh, official spokespersons. Um, for example, uh, Youngkin's first lady, Susan Youngkin, um, said that um, her staff are in the decision-making process regarding the executive mansion. We have to remember, under the American system, the um, uh, executive uh, persons are usually uh, their, their partners normally take quite an active role yeah uh, the first the first lady of the you know the president's first lady is is, is the most famous example so they yeah. can be quite influential as well Suzanne Young can issue a statement through her uh, spokesperson who said that the um, she and her staff were quote uh, in the decision making process regarding the executive mansion the executive mansion is open to the public they do do tours they do this educational work it's a very historic building that you know, virginia is one of the oldest sort of political foundations in the states obviously it's named after queen elizabeth virgin queen famously very good yeah um and um, she uh, the spokesperson added that um First Lady Youngkin looks forward to finalising the executive mansion layout and tours. Mm. The, uh, the Youngkins are, are excited to welcome Virginians back to the executive mansion. Mm. So I, I'm not cutting people, I'm not cutting them any slack here, but I am saying that we have to look at this in the context of reopening after COVID and also a change in political regime. Now, it does look as though, and certainly um, critics of the Youngkins fear that the new political regime is also leading to a new history. Mm, mm. Um, or at least a new take on history. Um, one of the uh, leaders of a, a, a community project that, um, that um, Ms. Dietz was involved with uh, said that the work was going to continue and, and said, uh, this is, this is uh, Justin Reed via Twitter, um, the work of telling our executive mansion's whole history, and that, that word whole is doing a lot of li uh, lifting there because that's talking about everybody involved, including those black Americans, African Americans. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, telling the executive mansion's whole history is bigger than an elected or staff position. Mm. A remarkable group of descendants of enslaved, educate, uh, of the enslaved educators and historians have built a foundation strong enough to withstand four years of any administration. Hmm. Um, so I think this is an interim report, really. This, this is one that's going to run. Um, it, it really crystallises, um, points up the uh, probably one of the most divisive fractures in American civic society and politics at the moment. Yeah. Um, and... Um, We've seen it elsewhere. Um, we've talked about it on Rockton Brief before, the, I think it's the 1619 report and so on, um, and other things. This is going to run, I think, sadly. It, it's funny that at the moment we're seeing a lot of people making 
the case for not erasing history. Uh, especially on, for example, on Facebook, I'm seeing lots of uh, history groups, often with a with a very conservative, small c conservative approach to history, uh, posting memes along the lines of, you know, you can't you can't ban uh, statues, you can't erase um, uh, true history, you can't, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you might as well be a book burner, this kind of thing. Uh, I'll just I'll just read you a, um, an example. So the other day I shared on the Archaeosuit Facebook page a couple of days ago now actually. One of these 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 memes that's that's shared around. It's a quote from Dwight D. Eisenhower. Um, quote: Don't join the book burners. Don't think you're going to conceal faults by concealing evidence that they ever existed. Don't be afraid to go into your library and read every book. End quote. Now, I, 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 that was being shared by someone who was implying that lefties want to burn books and hide the past, want to destroy our, our proud national heritage. I, I shared this with, with the additional comment, or indeed, don't conceal truths by slacking a, slapping a statue on them, for example, at an Oxford college maybe, and criticising historic properties for taking a closer look at the heritage that's represented around them. Mm. Often they're making the case in the context of preserving a, uh, a, a an established history as opposed to a history that is being added to. And mm. so I find these conversations fascinating because, for example, Youngkin apparently is quoted as saying that, that yeah, history, all history, the good and the bad, um, is something that he embraces the teaching of. In response, uh, Dietz, uh, who... who has resigned, went on to say that I hope his quote of teaching the good, the bad and the ugly is actually implemented and that we won't need to shy away from uh, talking about the very important parts of our nation's history that presumably she was touching on in her uh, work at the mansion. And, and, I, and it's interesting to me because I think when people talk about this, they are, they're bringing their own bias to to the definition of censorship, if you say to me. And, and so, so in, in a British context, there are people right at the top of, of, of this, the decision-making process in education who say, uh, we can't, we can't uh, erase our past. And they talk about that in the context of people who are wanting to highlight difficult topics in our past. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a subversion and an inversion of the meaning of erasure and censorship, such as to preserve a relatively benign and unchallenging, particularly if you are in a particular position in society, worldview. I think, uh, as you say, you know, we can but hope, fingers crossed, that that, that they find their way forward, and that we, and we shouldn't presume too much here. But but the ter the definitions, the the terms of of the terms of um, of engagement on these issues have already been quite badly skewed by. By notions, for example, that someone who wanted to topple, say, the Colston statue in Bristol, wanted mm. to do anything other than highlight the slave trade. It's been talked about as though that toppling was an attempt to forget that Colston ever existed. No, not at all. Of course not. It's it's highlighting his actual role in history. It's it's, in, it's additive, ironically enough. There's also. It's also one, you know, the only statue in Britain that's actually been toppled illegally um, in recent years. No, no, it wasn't toppled illegally. The people who toppled it were cleared. Okay. Oh, sorry, yes, sorry. Toppled as part of unsanctioned action at the time of toppling, I should say. They were indeed yeah. cleared, you're right, after the fact. Um, but, but it's interesting how right at the beginning of these conversations, we seem to have people who, who, who are 
either deliberately or mistakenly misapplying the notion of censorship to history. And uh, and I, I wonder how, I wonder what, 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 what chance we have of actually moving forward in a constructive way, both in, in the US and also actually here, here in Britain as well. It's a, it's a difficult conversation. I mean, you know, but I think in the end, this is what it's all about. History done properly is the whole series of conversations and some of them can be very difficult. Mm. Um, and this is a difficult conversation. It's a, dom a, a conversation about one group of people enslaving another group of people for their own political and so social and economic benefit. Mm. And, 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 and the ripples of that um, coming all the way down through over 300 years uh, to, to the present and still working themselves out. Mm. So that's not easy. Um, and I think but at, at the immediate issue, and certainly the immediate issue in Virginia appears to be, I mean, one of the, one of the um, critics from the right, from the Republican side of the argument, from, from the right of the argument, said that um, we're, we're, we're teaching children that America is a bad place. That's about a modern concept. Yeah. It's about mm. a concept of, a, a concept of what, what the country represents in the here and now. And that by implying that maybe it's never been perfect and that some people have been treated very badly in the past and may continue to be treated badly in the present for you know, institutional reasons, for example, um, that is actually divisive and destructive and shouldn't be, therefore shouldn't be aired. Yeah, I suppose another way of putting that is to say that you're teaching people that America is a place as opposed to the greatest country on earth. You know, America, <laughs> America is a place where yeah. go down bad things happen, folks. But, but of course. Yeah. But as you say, yeah. people want to, to, to have a simple narrative taught in, in many cases. Yeah. This, the problem here is that in recent years, the very definition of what's true and how we establish truth has been warped uh, tremendously and that's outside of our purview and control that's been done on a level that that uh, that has infected all manner of discourse but when you have people and let's just say everyone here is approaching with an open honest uh, good faith you know a, a, a right heart they want to to learn and teach um, about the history of the building Th this definition of of what concealing evidence is and who wants to do the concealing from Dwight Eisenhower here um, is a crucial thing to get right from the offset. And, and it feels as though at the moment it's very difficult to get right in, in public discourse, especially social media discourse, in and around history and archaeology. It's, uh, hmm. Now, you have connected uh, these events in Virginia with what actually feels now like old news, given that the the Met Commissioner has re resigned last night, the, the head of the police in London <laughs> resigned last night. Um, news relatively recently, in the past few days, um, of uh, senior aides to the Prime Minister leaving because he, he's gone a step too far on this front of twist of truth twisting and and moving the goalpost when it comes to standards of public discourse. Uh, why did you feel the need to include it? Because I should say, folks at home, I did push back on this a little bit in so much as this feels like it's, you know, we are political geeks, but we are moving a little bit more into number 10 here. But it's connected, isn't it? It's connected, I think, in some way. It, How did you think it was connected? Uh, the reason I think it's connected is that, um, put it this way, um, the 
People talk about the current government playing the Trump playbook in terms of you talked earlier about um, you know what, what is truth. Um, if uh, sort of we, the, the famous Kellyanne Conway quote about um, alternative facts, mm-hmm. um, and it just so happens that in the last uh, week there have been a couple of instances where, if you like, the ripples of the uh, pushback on sort of quote woke history. Um, from a, from the Republican Party across the across the Atlantic, has the ripples have washed up in 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 London in in, in, in British practice and in British politics. Mm. Um, and two two little stories to highlight it. One is that um, Boris Johnson's um, senior advisor, a woman called Munira Mirza, who he's worked with for over ten years since he was mayor of London, mm-hmm. um, resigned last week in protest at Boris Johnson. Um, citing a false claim that the Labour opposition leader, Keir Starmer, had failed to prosecute Jimmy Savile, the famous uh, BBC disc jockey and uh, appalling predatory paedophile. Mm. Um, She said that uh, Johnson should never have said it and should apologise and remarked Johnson refused to do that and she walked. Mm. Now, she is the person most closely identified in in number 10 um, with, uh, with, with the policy... Are, uh, of um, of the culture war, uh, which we've talked about many times before, um, including attacking organisations like the National Trust, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which um, have in recent years followed perfectly normal historical practice and done deep dives into uh, the history of many of the buildings that they are, which they hold for the nation. Um, it's a it's a charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, with uh, and they've done particular research on the role of people of colour in the history of those buildings, both directly and indirectly through those buildings being funded by, for example, the um, well, sugar, the, the Virginia slave trade, yeah, the Virginia slave trade, Actually, the, the, yeah. The, the, yeah, the sugar plantations mm-hmm. in the in, in in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. um, which were you know, operated by enslaved African people. Mm, mm. Um, so um, anyway, and cotton, uh, mi- and cotton, cotton in the states, mm, absolutely. Yeah. Sugar in the West, sugar in the Caribbean and West Indies, Car- uh, and, and, and cotton in the states, yeah. and tobacco, of course. Mm. Um, anyway, Mirza walked. Now, famously, she was a, for- a former member of what's called the Revolutionary Communist Party, um, which was a far left organisation. Which ve- um, um, it, it's curious how a number of its uh, members have actually moved to the far uh, to the far uh, far right. Um, people might be familiar with Spiked magazine. I think we've talked about it before. Okay. Um, so this so this 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 is the horseshoe in action, isn't it? This is yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It, absolutely. It, it takes it takes less to go from from far far left to far right than it does to go all the way from all the way round. Oh wow. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. But anyway, on the, on this occasion, there's a in her absolutely excoriating. A resignation letter um, said that you know enough was enough, and Johnson misrepresenting a truth was you know that wasn't acceptable. Now that, that's the serious part of it, and it, and, and the question is now, um, along with how long has Boris Johnson's government actually got? Um, there is a, a sense looking at the political pundits and listening to quotes from politicians on that we are almost in the end times. Um, it is likely that Johnson will be 
um, given a fixed penalty notice for these um, work events, stroke parties mm-hmm. um, in Downing Street during the COVID lockdown. Um, and there, it is questionable whether any prime minister could survive being given a notice that they've broken the law that they wrote. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially potentially a, a fine of, te- of tens of thousands of pounds. Well, it, it, it could it could be as much as that. At the moment, it's all speculation. We don't know, but it's very likely. But anyway, anyway, I, I did promise so, to go home. I'm going to drag you back a little bit. Right. Relevance, yeah. But yeah, relevance. It, it's all relevant. archaeology doesn't doesn't happen in a vacuum. No, no. But okay, did, right? but, but help us. Okay. Help us. <laughs> okay, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help. Actually, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to help you. This is actually funny um, because quite coincidentally. Um, the, que- the question is, as well as wh- how long Johnson's government is going to last and whether any successor would pursue the culture war in quite the same way that Johnson has. Yes. Um, because it does appear to be a niche issue. Hmm. Um, it, it, the, um, there's another exponent of the culture war uh, who's a conservative MP called Andrew Murison. Um, now, Andrew Murison has been very critical of the National Trust. Yes. Um, for example, he accused the National Trust of, quotes, tarnishing the reputation of Winston Churchill. Mm. Now, it emerged, thanks to the Guardian newspaper uh, on the 4th of February, that uh, Mr. Morrison was going to start uh, what's called an all-party parliamentary group dedicated to um, scrutinising the National Trust. Now, this was somewhat odd for two reasons. One is that... Um, that basically the National Trust is an independent charity uh, mm-hmm. governed by the Charities Commission and yep. uh, nothing to do with Parliament. No. So it's not the same, uh, Parliament, example, it's not the same for example, as, as English Heritage or Historic England. Historic England. They were no, that's right. It, it, exactly. And it, yeah. and it doesn't receive direct government funding. No. Right? No. So, okay, so why, why, why was Mr. Morrison floating the idea of this all-party parliamentary group anyway? All-party parliamentary groups, by the way, they're... Um, they're informal groups of MPs with a particular interest. Uh, they don't have any statutory role, but they do produce reports. They're like little mini think tanks about yeah. various issues. Um, for example, I think there's an all-party parliamentary group on beer. Now, you can you can wonder why any any MP would want to join a group that is there to discuss beer and have links with the brewing, you know, discuss things with the brewing absolutely, trade. Absolutely, absolutely. So Although, and, I, I, would, I would point out you just put an, an addendum onto your addendum there. What's the... Um, help, us, help us stay with you. Okay. Um, the other curious thing uh, about Mr. Morrison uh, wanted to start an all-party parliamentary group to discuss the National Trust mm-hmm. is that he didn't tell the National Trust he was going to do it. No. No. Um, and the news leaked out. The, su- the suspicion was that what he was doing was starting uh, an all par- uh, something with the status of a, of, a par- of a parliamentary group, the state of a group of MPs that could just produce more critical material about the National Trust, saying how it was woke, how it was uh, um, doing down British history and all the tropes that we've heard in the last in the last few years from that particular wing of British politics. Um, and well, now, of course, of course, by uh, by besmirching the reputation of Winston Churchill, I think what, what, what really they were likely doing was examining the history of Winston Churchill. <laughs> like, you know, exactly. uh, or rather not, uh, not simply repeating the mythology thereof. So it, yeah, it, it, again, this, this is where this is where it's important to get to get your your starting terminology correct. Um, that that that's right. Anyway, I interrupted you. Go on. Yeah. Anyway, cut to the chase. Um, it appears that the, um, the the meeting went ahead. 
mm-hmm. um, in uh, uh, earlier on this week. And in a glorious piece of trolling, uh, Hilary McGrady, who's the Director General of the National Trust, um, tweeted out, thanks to all the P- MPs and peers who attended today, I'm looking forward to working with you, ensuring that we continue to care for places for everyone forever, which is, of course, famously the National Trust's um, uh, sl- uh, principal slogan. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, uh, it's a go- it was a gotcha. Yeah. You tried to sneak this one past, didn't work. Wah, wah, um, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, um, and a, 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 a minor skirmish in the culture war, but I think a rather delightful one. Mm, mm. But nonetheless, all of this, all of this, 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 the, 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 the field that we find ourselves on, all of this is, is framed by the behaviour of those people who set the tone. And yeah. and it, it it it's it's been the field has been uh, laced with all manner of landmines and and there have been attempts to to full on you know sow the ground with salt in some instances. But uh, I suppose one, especially in the UK context, one interesting or one specifically in the English context, one interesting development is that whenever it seems the government or right-wing press are attacking, in particular the right-wing press, are attacking the National Trust's uh, independence of thought, their membership tends to go up. So so thankfully the public have minds of their own. Uh, it, it'd just be nice if, um, uh, if if our leaders could, could meet people in the real world as opposed to uh, in a world that's defined solely by, by what they like and what they find appealing uh, in that sense, or politically expedient. Anyway, one person who would very much enjoy this conversation is someone that we want to mention as uh, uh, an obituary um, this week. Yes. Uh, the archaeologist uh, Dr. Neil Faulkner uh, recently passed away, and Andy brought this to my attention. And it sounds as though he was a, a right character who would have been in, uh, in like Flynn on a conversation about... <laughs> about the system um so, so uh, uh what uh, what should we what should we know about neil do you think um neil, uh, card, cards on the table um i did have uh, uh, uh i worked with neil Faulkner on a number of occasions um he uh commissioned me for an article when i was uh when he was uh, editor of uh, current archaeology magazine um, and also we worked together on an excavation here at, uh, at Shooters Hill through his Great War Archaeology Group. So I'll always be grateful for, for those sort of contacts and enabling, enabling work. Um, Neil died of cancer last week. He was only 64. Mm. Um, and he leaves a partner and three children and a lot of colleagues and a portfolio of work both in archaeology and politics. And, the, and that's the reason really I wanted to, um, to, to talk about him today. Um, many people will be familiar with Neil uh, from his appearances on television. He appeared on programmes ranging from Time Team to documentaries about the um, Boudicca and the Ninth Legion and various other things. He was a, he, he, he was a, a, a familiar talking head mm. uh, for TV producers um, and he led uh, a historical tours um basically he was a jobby freelance archaeologist wrote uh, quite a prolific output of books as well um but underlying everything with neil was his politics uh, mm. he's the only archaeologist 
uh, I've ever heard introduce a talk by saying, my name's Neil, uh, Dr. Neil Faulkner, and I'm a revolutionary socialist. <laughs> Um, wow. He was. <laughs> he, 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 half the room just leave. <laughs> like at that point, just. Well, nope. And that's that's the point. The, 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 the talking question was, a, it was, a, it was about conflict archaeology. And um, to say that conflict archaeology co- covers the gamut of political uh, opinion uh, would be somewhat understating it, even more so perhaps than archaeology norm. And, 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 there, uh, and particularly uh, some people involved with it have very conservative views about, for example, the role of the armed forces. Yeah, yeah. Or, so, or, for example, in recent years, the notion that people fighting in the Second World War were, quote, fighting for freedom. They were fighting against fascism. That's something else entirely, especially in the British context of the British Empire. So, so yeah, I imagine coming up against that kind of rhetoric, Neil, would have been an interesting flavour uh, to experience. <laughs> and a certain ab- ab- quality. Ab- <laughs> ab- ab- absolutely. It, 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 yeah, we, we use the phrase Marmite character very glibly. Um, mm. But, I mean, in... in, in, in those terms, um, Neil's uh, Neil's archaeology was marmite. Neil's politics was marmite. Put the two together, it was a big fat, thick slab of marmite on the bread and butter mm-hmm. of archaeology. Um, but um, it was certainly stimulating in terms of it made you think. Mm. Um, he was also um, a huge proponent. It's one of the reasons um, we worked together on the Shooters Hill project. Was uh, he wanted to make archaeology accessible? He ran a long-term project, which is still running. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen now, but mm. it's still functioning uh, at Sedgeford in Norfolk, um, and which was designed to um, enable uh, enable people to take part in finding out about their community and also in, 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 in practicing archaeology. And they looked at everything from prehistoric sites to a World War One airfield. Mm-hmm. Um, that was within the their, their study area. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, 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 he wanted to practice the kind of archaeology, and it's one that I'm absolutely um, in in uh, in lockstep with, which is that, for example, if you're doing a training dig and the most junior excavator finds a a skeleton, human remains yeah. skeleton, um, they're not taken off so that somebody more experienced can do the job. Mm. You put somebody more experienced with them to mentor them while they do the job. Yeah, yeah, and then you end, they, um, they, you hopefully end up with two people who can do better work, yeah. Mm. E- exactly that. Mm. And he wanted, he wanted people to question, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, and, um, you know, he wanted to people to debate why they were doing it. Mm. Um, as I say... Why they were doing archaeology, that is, sorry, not why they were... That's that's right. And and he has left behind, as I say, a big corpus of work, both political and archaeological. Um, He was criticised by many archaeologists. Um, Other archaeologists found his work stimulating and thought-provoking and valuable. So, you know... um, it's uh, it, it, it's it's a very interesting life cut, rather too short. I'll just leave you with a, give you a flavour of how he brought his politics and his archaeology together. This is from a review um, of a book by Randall H. McGuire that Neil wrote uh, in two thousand and eight. McGuire's book is called Archaeology as Political Action, and I'll just read you a couple of paragraphs from it to give you a flavour of where Neil was coming from and why perhaps whether you agree or whether you violently disagree with him, we need. Um, maverick voices in archaeology to, to, to make us think, to question our preconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, archaeology is political. It can even provoke bloody confrontation. 
Over 3,000 people died during communal riots in India and Bangladesh after a Hindu nationalist mob destroyed the Barbary Mosque in Ayodhya. The attack had been triggered by an archaeological claim that in 1528, the first Mughal emperor had demolished an earlier Hindu temple on the site in order to build a mosque. Mm. Mm. And he went on to say, archaeology is at once trivial and significant. Nothing we find out about the dead can make any difference to them, but the claims we make about the past can be ideologically charged for the living. Nazi archaeologists claim to have discovered an Aryan master race in the midst of German prehistory. Israeli archaeologist Bordeaux's Islamic uh, levels to find substantiation of Zionist myths beneath. Oster Unionists see a series of linear earthworks known as the Black Pig's Dyke as an original Iron Age partition of Ireland. Now, obviously, those statements are controversial. Yeah. Many people, um, less so about the Nazi one, but the latter one's about the, the what, uh, Israeli practice and uh, practice in the north of Ireland, uh, north of the island of Ireland, Northern Ireland. Um, will be very controversial with a number of people. But, but Neil wasn't afraid of that. Um, some would argue he maybe wanted to provoke sometimes. But mm. you can see, you know, why it's about it's about asking, okay, you're <clears throat> digging up something, it's interesting, but why are you digging it and how are you interpreting it? And is how are you is, is the way you're interpreting it actually dangerous? And I suppose in that context, why does the senior advisor to the Prime Minister take a particular interest in leaning on museums and you know, trying to, uh, to, to, to guide them in what they can and can't and should and shouldn't say about the past? Uh, you know, it's by pointing to an extreme example where people um, potentially erroneously look at, look at the notion of an earthwork preempting the uh, the division of Ireland by thousands of years what you're doing is you're pointing is you're also actually asking well why is it that for example uh, you know Johnson and, and co wanted to use history in the way that they're using it and more to the point don't want to see it used in ways that they don't like um, yeah yeah it's it's a it's in, it, it's 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 inescapably thought-provoking at the very least yeah Mm. Absolutely, and I'll finish with just with one sentence about the Maguire book. Um, and, and, and in the course of the review, um, and again, a lot of his work is available on a number of websites, including Marxist.org. We'll link to it. Um, oh God! In, uh, <laughs> um, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just laughing because the number, the number of 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 you know people who turn up on this YouTube channel on the RKC YouTube channel if you're listening to this on podcast you won't get you won't see this but people who turn up with you know bulldog avatars etc calling us yeah. Marxists now we're linking to Marxist.com <laughs> I'm linking objectively in terms I'm citing a source okay uh, I'm you know um, like I said it, it you know, Neil's archaeology was Marmite it was about it was about Marx confronting Mike. what he Marx yes indeed you know, no, no, look um, Neil came from a branch of socialism which sees everything as a struggle, mm. a class struggle. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is pointed up in, 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 the, in the final paragraph of this book review, which is how I'm, I'm citing as a source, as a, you know, what, why his voice is significant, why whether you agree with it or whether you disagree with it, it's sad that it's been silenced too soon. Yeah. Um, because it, it, even if you fundamentally disagree with it, it makes you think. And the, I think the enemy of any, you know, intellectual study is thoughtlessness and blandness. Mm. Mm. Um, anyway, and, and, and one of the things that um, Neil was particularly critical of was um, 
what he called uh, calls in, the, in this review soft postmodernism, the the, the post processual archaeology mm-hmm. um, that seems divorced from political realities as he would see them, um, and uh, he said. You know, he says, you cannot deal with difference of analysis and strategy between socialists and bourgeois feminists, for example, or those between socialists and third world nationalists by blandly announcing that there are simply so many entry points. Maguire wants us all to be nice to each other. But if the aim is to change the world, we have to base practice on clear understanding, and that means not fudging arguments with people along soon, alongside whom we find ourselves fighting. Hmm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> no, interesting. No, in- very inter- interesting. Yeah. And also, I, not not to not to elongate this endlessly, but that also comes in the context of last week when we highlighted a paper uh, where the argument was being made that archaeologists should first of all be archaeologists. Uh, mm. You know, uh, and so in some ways, that this notion of having an approach which is first and foremost about the basic protection of of the past in order to have it there to study marries up quite before then you bring in your own you know, your other personal stuff or your professional stuff marries up quite interestingly with that sort of statement where you've also got to be as it were accountable to and with your allies in a way that presumably leads to better under, and greater understanding if not a little a little bit of friction as well um, absolutely absolutely and just one last um uh, comment really that links back to what you said about um, horseshoe theory of politics and Munir Amir, when we were talking about Munir Amirza. Um, I think we see that in, in Neil's career as well. As I say, um, he was a pro- um, prolific uh, contributor, but also an editor, and he um, edited a number of magazines, including Current Archaeology. Mm-hmm. And of course, Current Archaeology was uh, created by Andrew Selkirk, who's a right-wing libertarian and has um, written pamphlets for, and studies, for example, for the Adam Smith Institute. So to have a, you know, a revolutionary socialist and a supporter of the Adam Smith Institute working together on an archaeological publication that really epitomizes uh, Neil's career and in fact the most comprehensive obituary is in the Daily Telegraph which is the uh, leading light of the war on woke so yeah. the irony is the irony the story graph yes yeah exactly the the ironies in this story are uh, are, are rich um but as i say a a a, a, a political archaeologist and very significant in those terms, and somebody who has introduced many, many people to archaeology. So mm. whatever you think of his politics, I think that that, that part of his career is very significant generally. Mm. Yeah, rest in peace. Indeed. <sighs> or rest in power, as, the, as you say on the left. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, this has been a, a, a fairly beefy episode this, this, this week, and actually just... just between you, me, and the and the fence post, uh, dear viewer, uh, we actually dropped a whole segment because we realised that we were we were far too interested in connecting up the dots here, partly for your benefit because because I, I, I just really didn't want to just seem as though everything was un, was disconnected, but actually I feel as though there's actually been quite an interesting you know we're th- we're a thinking a thinking um, a thinking presentation here and hopefully there's lots to yeah. think about. Uh, any idea what we might be talking about next week, Andy? Um, if the ducks line up, hopefully a significant update on a maritime archaeology story. Okay, maritime archaeology. Cool. I'll get my uh, my scuba gear primed and ready. Um, 
Or is it not wet? Is it dry? Oh no, it's it's extremely wet. It's extremely wet. Okay, cool, Graham. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll get I'll, I'll get so I'll get the appropriate the appropriate wet air gear. Um, thank you guys for watching, for listening. Uh, please do consider examining um, the notion of supporting us via the Patreon that we have. We don't mention it often, but you know we do this every week, and um, we want to be able to continue doing it. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. In, I was going to say, in, in Monty Python terms, we are not a fully autonomous anarcho-syndicalist commune. We are actually, in that respect, capitalists. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, despite the Marxist web reading material we sent you towards. <laughs> oh, oh, I do. I love. I mean, archaeologists are okay. A couple of days ago, and uh, on Twitter, um, I saw someone saying, "Why do archaeologists look so weird?" Yeah, they have you know coloured hair. Half the head is shaved. They'll have tattoos and rings, and and um, and and it, this is the answer. Archaeology is a really mixed bag of people, and and so it's not easily characterizable. Uh, or, uh, and it's and I think yeah, this 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 conversation and the. The glorious mess that comes out of this sort of conversation is precisely, for the most part, what archaeologists are studying and what we're interested in. We're interested in people, often because we don't fully understand people, certainly in my case, anyway. Right, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you for for listening. Thank you for watching. See you next time. Bye-bye. This podcast episode has been produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network in collaboration with Archaeosoup Productions. Find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.